listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Our Father, who art in heaven, you are majestic and merciful. You are far above us and ready to come to us. You have plans for the whole earth, even for the universe. And yet you care for us, even in the smallest details. You are King and our Father. Hallowed be your name. Make your great and holy name to be honored and treasured above all things, especially deep in our own hearts and everywhere in the world. Your kingdom come. Cause your sovereign authority and wisdom to hold sway at all times in every place on earth and in the deepest parts of our own souls. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will would be done throughout the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it a reality in each of us. Give us this day our daily bread. We are not asking for riches, but for enough to live. We want to be healthy and to have a mind and body that work. Sustain us that we might accomplish what you call us to do. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are sinners and need to be forgiven every day. We know we don't deserve it. We ask for mercy. Forgive us. Draw us into the freedom of your love, the love you gave when your son died in our place. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Keep us back from the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Guard us from Satan, from all his works and all his ways. Grant us to walk in holiness before you all our days. We pray this. In the name of the one who taught us to pray, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Wasn't that a rich prayer? That was so good. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer that many Christians around the world know and have heard before and have recited before. They've repeated it over and over again. But funny thing is that prayer did not sound repeated. That prayer did not sound empty. It did not sound recited like a script that we read. That's the type of rich prayer life that God wants us to have. This is a series on communication because we believe that the most important communication that you can have on this earth is with a loving, glorious, joyful, and all-satisfying God. A God that says, I've created you with a plan, and I've created you uh, with a purpose, and I sent my son to die for you so that you can enjoy me more. See, the only thing that will bring you full satisfaction is a relationship with me, says God. And the, 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 the point is, I can't enjoy God if I don't relate to God. And the truth is, I, I throw myself in this, our prayer lives are sometimes a little compromised. They're, they're sometimes a little lazy. They're sometimes a little... burdensome on us. Sometimes we feel like, well, this takes up a lot of time. Sometimes we feel like it, it, it's something that, that it requires our full attention and it does, but that it has to be done on a certain way and in a certain, you have to close your eyes, you have to bend your knees. And while those things are all true, you can also pray while standing and walking and looking at the beauty of the mountains and of the nature around you. See, it's a relationship. It's not a repetition. So anything that we do out of the sense of repetition is not the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Last week, as, Jesus, uh, as Pastor Jason kicked off the series, he showed us some things that Jesus teaches us even before he teaches the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that you just heard paraphrased by John Piper. And he one of the things that Pastor Jason mentioned was repetition is not something that we seek to do, as we just established. But the, his concluding and main point was that the most important part of our prayers, of all of our prayers, is the recognition of who God is in our lives. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in and, and reality, how so densely packed that one verse is. Just sitting to pray on that can open up a world of possibilities in terms of how you enjoy and receive more of God. Hallowed be your name. That's the result of wonder, of awe, of enjoying the God that created us. It's not the result of repetition. We need to seek to relate that way, as Pastor Jason was saying, that, that, that all of our prayers would be rooted in that, in the sense of who God is with respect to us. See, just unpacking that alone brings so much reality that sometimes we forget. We don't get to call him our father without Jesus. We don't. See, we are adopted sons we are, he's our adoptive, adoptive father through Jesus. 
Sin removed sonship. When, when, we choose, when we chose and said, God, you're great, but there are other things that are better than you. I enjoy this more, and I'm going to selfishly say that, well, but this is the way I was born, so this is what I love. This is what I'll do. These are the inclinations that I have. That's more joyful to me than you are. When that happens, we need restoration. And Jesus comes in to save the day, literally. And he provides a way for us to reestablish sonship, for us to be sons and daughters of the Father. And now we get to say our Father. It's beautiful. The fact that we can come with, with, with such a boldness. The Word says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can walk up to God and pray to Him like He is Abba Father. That's just a beautiful concept. See, I, I have a history with this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Like I've mentioned before, I grew up Catholic, and I'm thankful for the Catholic uh, education So. Uh, to, uh, you know, not Catholic education, but my Catholic upbringing, excuse me. I'm thankful that my parents instilled that in me because they created a love for God. But there was so much that I didn't understand about grace and, and about how I relate to God. Here's what our, the Lord's Prayer was for me when I was first introduced to it. I learned it in Spanish, so please excuse me. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad, así en la tierra como en los cielos. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. Perdona nuestras ofensas como también nosotros perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en la tentación, malíramos del mal. Amén. Okay, I'm done. That is the Lord's Prayer. In a hurry, repeated mindlessly, with no relationship, no enjoyment, no satisfaction in who God is, and no meditation on who I am with respect to God. That's so different from the approach that Jesus wants us to have in relating to God. So in this series in general, we're working on our communication with God. So we're going to hear other messages that Pastor Jason and that Dr. Mark are going to bring to us on how to, for example, in Mark's case, he's going to talk to us about how we hear from God. But today we're talking more about how to speak to our Father and why we speak to Him this way and what are the implications within. Because even when I came to know Jesus through faith, being saved by grace, there was a lot about this prayer that I didn't understand. It is so deep and we're going to dive into it now. See, the truth is that when we go through this prayer, each of those verses, as John Piper just unpacked, is so full of so much truth and goodness for us. Uh, James, you can go ahead and put Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. It is the Lord's Prayer. Put it up on the screen. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll break it down. Pray then like this, Jesus says to us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, Jason already covered, as we just reviewed, what our Father, the, our Father portion. Today we unpack the rest I have the first point for you that, that God speaks to us in this, not my words, but God. 
Prayer is about aligning our lives to his will of command. I want you to take that with you because this is so radically life-changing. Prayer is about our aligning our lives to his will of command. In that prayer that we just read, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that someone might ask, rightfully so, is if God is the king of everything, if he's in control of everything, why is his will not done? This is a good point. It is. But something that just in sitting and meditating on this verse that we just mentioned, something that's so important that we understand is that God's will has two dimensions. One of them is mentioned in this bullet point. His will of command. See, there are two dimensions, two dimensions to God's will. His will of command and His sovereign will. These are two different wills. And as a teacher, I can relate to them. Let me give you an example. When I give a test to a student that I know he's going to fail, I don't want him to fail. <laughs> I don't. You know, it, it sounds like a contradiction, but I don't. I want the student to be taught the things that he needs in life or she so that he can become or, or she a, a, a person of God equipped, fully equipped for all the things that he or she will do for the rest of their days. And you know what? At least superficially, a bad grade is a hindrance on that. So I don't want them to fail. It's just, it's not a good thing to want them to fail, right? I don't want them to fail. But I still have to give them the test. If not, I wouldn't be fair, especially if I'm providing the test to everyone else. But more importantly, there is a learning experience from the test that they must go through. And see, the, God's will is complex, but quite simple. It's two-dimensional. Will that's sovereign and will of command. What we're praying here is the will of command. See, his sovereign will is the one that sometimes allows trials in our lives, even though he doesn't want to see us suffer. The sovereign will of God allowed Lazarus to die so that Jesus could resurrect him. Did God enjoy Lazarus' death? No. Jesus wept. So there's two different wills that God has. And they're both beautifully compatible. And I can say this, at least if the analogy is insufficient, I can say this from a teacher's perspective. It just makes sense. You have to have a will of decree and a sovereign will. So the sovereign will, again, is the one that allows things to happen for higher purposes. What's the will of decree? The will of decree is when I speak to my student and I tell them, do the homework. See, the sovereign will in Ricardo gives the exam and the student can do nothing about that. God's sovereign will is the same. Things will happen because he has either ordained or allowed them. Regardless. But there are things that God wills from us that we don't do. He says, obey my commands. Don't sin. And we still do them. So that's the will of decree. The will of decree is different from the sovereign will because it's the obedience that he desires in us. So get this. When I say your will be done, you have to be specific and understand what you're praying for when you say that. You're praying for yourself and the church to act more in accordance with the will of decree of God. You're saying, Jesus, 
could you help me, please, to walk more in line with your commands? Isn't that amazing? It was life-changing for me to understand that I'm not praying over his sovereign will. His sovereign will is whether I pray for it or not. His will of decree, what he wishes us to do and to obey, that we jack up all the time. So when we pray this, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is beautiful because what he wants us to pray for is a church that's so obedient to God, it looks like the angels in heaven. Think about that. We are so obedient. What we're praying for is an obedience that's so amazing that we look like the angels in heaven who perfectly obey God. They don't mess up. They perfectly obey God. Your kingdom come, your will of command be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, your will of command, what we're supposed to obey, be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's scriptural evidence for this, even outside of this discussion. In Psalm 103, verses 19 through 21, listen to the psalmist describing how it is in heaven. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and, the, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. That's perfect obedience to the will of command. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Again, referring to the heavenly realm. We're praying for that type of heavenly environment. The kingdom is here, but it's still moving in. And so, while, before, till Jesus arrives and brings fully the kingdom, we're imperfect people being perfected by him. And we are praying for that perfecting process to go on and on by asking him to help us obey him. I hope you really take this with you to understand that when you pray over this, you're praying that your obedience would be like the obedience of angels in heaven. Oh my goodness, that's so good. May we pray honestly for that. And we'll fail, we will. But we're being sanctified. And Jesus tells us, his word tells us that he will bring to completion the work he started in us. It's a guaranteed process to be finished. So pray for it, knowing he will deliver. Pray for it, knowing he will deliver. That's so good. The next part of the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. See, prayer recognizes God as our provider of basic needs. That isn't a prayer for prosperity in the material sense. It's not saying, please God, give me that, you know, amazing car. Give me this amazing, uh, luxurious thing that I so desire. It's a prayer for basic needs. This example is going to sound rather radical. But John the Baptist, you know, he, he probably prayed for basic needs to be met. Do you know... Some of you know this. Do you know what John the Baptist ate? (laughs) Locusts. Insects. Well, at least he's got protein, am I right? (laughs) He ate locusts and wild honey. I like that part. Thankfully, Jesus did not teach us to pray for the provision of locusts. (laughs) He asked us to pray for our daily bread. But what's important here? 
What we are praying for is basic needs to be met for our daily bread so that we can continue to minister to the world around us, just like John the Baptist and many others did. Basic provisions. See, a lot of people, when they see the Lord's Prayer, they recognize that as the provision part. But God is telling us it's the basic provision part, not the Ricardo provision, not the mindset that we have of provision. This, Lord, this, please let me keep this level of income. That way I don't have to cancel the Netflix subscription or the Dish subscription. Or, or now I'm going to get real for all of us. Or, you know, maybe get a smaller house. Or maybe I have to sell my car. Don't allow that, God. Don't allow me to have to sell my car. Don't allow me to have to settle for less. That's not the prayer that God is asking from us. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer helps us savor grace and helps us seek relational forgiveness. Prayer helps us savor grace and helps us seek relational forgiveness. I'm referring to the part where Jesus says, and forgive us our debts, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When I finally came to a proper understanding of, of how we're saved by grace through faith, there were a lot of questions that remained because I was taught, rightfully so, from the Bible, that if I accept Jesus and I truly repent and say, I no longer want to live my way. I want to follow you for the rest of my day, carry my cross. You will be my Lord and Savior. It's done. You're forgiven. There's nothing that you can do to remove your salvation because Jesus says, no one will snatch you out of my hands. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And this is why People, you hear them say, correctly so. Salvation is a once and done issue. There's just too many verses that tell us that that's the case. But if that's the case, why do we pray for forgiveness? Am I not forgiven? See, this is something that I took for granted every time that I was praying in Spanish. And, I, and not that it, the problem was in Spanish, but back then that's, that's, that's how I prayed it. I just thought I'm getting this prayer done to get my sins forgiven right now so that if I die, I go to heaven. There's a lot of problems for that, that salvation once and done solves. What if you sin as you walk out the church doors and God forbid you get hit by a bus? Is that it? So you screwed up, pardon the expression, and now you, you don't get to be in heaven with the Father? See, we're, we're not, our salvation is not against the, the, the ropes. Our salvation is not being cornered by small mistakes or by even big mistakes. We're still supposed to avoid sin. But our salvation isn't cornered. It's once and done. I mean, if you don't believe me, just this, it's not me. Listen to this. Salvation is done. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Further on in that chapter, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified, it's past tense, done, by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It's done. 
Verse 18 in that chapter, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What's that act? The death on the cross and the resurrection and the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That salvation is one act. We don't get to make Jesus do that act over and over again to secure our salvation. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is, now, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's done. I mean, I could go on. The list goes on and on of past tense verses. I mean, in Ephesians, I just, I got to keep saying them because I want you to be confident in it. If you've truly savored the grace of God, which is a separate question, but if you've truly experienced it, it's done. In Ephesians 1, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Later on in verse 11, in him we have, not we're waiting for it, obtained an inheritance. How is it that if I'm not dead yet, I've already obtained this inheritance? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. How can he even determine that? It's done. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Do you think you can do, undo the Holy Spirit seal? No. If it's true, if you were sealed, which is a separate question, you can't undo that, son. You just can't. It's not going to happen. The promised Holy Spirit, it says, here's the best part, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's amazing. It moves me because that's how radical his salvation is. It's the guarantee of our inheritance. It's guaranteed. It's one and done. It's guaranteed. So then why are we praying, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors? Well, we're not supposed to sin for one. My father will always welcome me. Here's the other thing. My father, will, my dad, will always welcome me with op- open arms to my house. There's nothing he, I could do that he wouldn't welcome me, or, or my mom. But when I messed up, and I hurt them, I did hurt them, and I still needed to, I, need, I needed to have some type of relational forgiveness. Relational forgiveness. See, we said prayer helps us savor grace and helps us seek relational forgiveness. There's two types of forgivenesses that we receive from God. Positional and relational. Positional is the one I just described. It's one and done. But if you've been truly positionally saved, positionally forgiven, you are someone that will always seek relational forgiveness. You will always seek relational forgiveness. Here's what happens. Even though you're saved, when you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. 
This passage is so important, it's going to show up on screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And it has both of these truths together. The relational forgiveness and the positional forgiveness. Both together. Listen, in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiven one another as God in Christ forgave you. So our sin grieves Him. Of course, every time we sin, we say something else is better than God. The Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit in us is grieved by our sin. But it still says you were sealed for the day of redemption. It still tells us to stop sinning. It still tells, Jesus still tells us, you know, seek that relational forgiveness daily. And here's the thing, though. You're not going to seek that daily relational forgiveness if you don't have that positional forgiveness of being once and done saved by Jesus. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to care about it, for one. So, Positional forgiveness moves us to relational forgiveness. I mean, I can tell you, I'm just standing a moment aside from the Bible and telling you out of personal experience. I've seen how my sins in the past, when I had a persistent sin that I didn't take care of, how it destroyed, not fully of course, because I'm sealed by God, but how it just turned to shreds my relationship with God. I know people here in church who I'm not judging, but because I've talked with them and they've shared the same thing with me, they've told me, yeah, my relationship has suffered because I haven't fixed this sin in my life. Your relationship with God gets hurt. Forgive us our debts. And more importantly, if we savor grace, the other point to this, if we savor the grace, if we understand how good and forgiving God is, we will forgive others. Our prayer to God is reminding us to savor grace to such an extent that we will forgive the unforgivable. Because if Jesus forgave Paul, a murderer of the church, then he should forgive anyone else. If Jesus forgave me for all of the crap that I did, I should forgive anyone else. It's... in savoring the grace of God, it's, it's almost unavoidable. You will want to forgive. If you truly savor this forgiveness that he gives us, it is so, so good. Remind yourself as you pray of the goodness of his forgiveness. Seek daily his relational forgiveness because we sin every day at all times. We sin all the time, so seek that relational forgiveness. Through prayer, we are empowered to leave the chains of sin behind. Through prayer, we're empowered to leave the chains of sin behind. I might have phrased it a little differently on the next bullet point, James. Um, But what we want to do is find freedom from the sin that enslaves us through prayer. So that we would no longer give in to those tempting ways. See, in verse 13, Jesus teaches us to pray, 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This one was really troublesome for me once I thought about it when I read most of the translations which are compatible with that one. When, when I read that verse that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the first thing that I thought, wait a minute, will God lead me into temptation? This is a complex question. And it's good that we think about it so that we pray about it the right way. The Greek word for temptation, I'm going to try to pronounce this. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, perosmos. That's the Greek word that's used in this text for temptation. It is the same Greek word used a lot throughout the New Testament for trial. It is the same word that's used a lot for trial. And this is a complex two-dimensional truth. So bear with it, but see how beautiful it is. See, trials, when we think of perirosmos, this Greek word, these, these trials, they, they are morally neutral things. Trials are morally neutral. God trials us. Satan tempts us. But the same word is used for the trial, for the temptation. The same word is used. See, in fact, we're told in the Bible that the, the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. God wasn't tempting Jesus. It was a trial. Satan was tempting Jesus. See, here's how it works. God intends trial in our lives. And, our, and the trials, we're told, are things that we should count all to joy so that when we meet those trials, we can grow in our steadfastness through faith, that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and that we would be more complete. God allows trials in your life to make you more complete. That's how he operates in your life. But Satan says, oh, that's a trial. I'm gonna, I, I want him to sin. And vice versa. Satan needs the sovereign permission of God to tempt us. God is not tempting us. Satan is not allowed to tempt unless God allows him. Look at Job. Satan needed permission. But what Satan intends for temptation, for us to fall to sin, God is intending for Glorious trial. Trial that leads us into a more complete, more perfect, not lacking anything person. So trial, temptation, whatever that Greek word you want to use, you have to understand that when you say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what you're really saying, this is my own humble paraphrase, God, in the trials that you are allowing in my life, may... I respond to them in a way that produces steadfastness so that I may be perfected, completed. May, I, may they not be opportunities for me to give in to sin. Protect me from sinning. So may the trial be a trial and not a temptation. Even though they are neutral, when we use temptation, we're, we're inclining on the door of sin. When we use trial, we're inclining on the door of steadfastness. God intends for one thing, Satan intends for another, and God is all glorious and good for that. 
So may we pass the, tri- pass the trials, seeking to glorify God above all, seeking to trust in Him with steadfastness. That's a resolve that holds on to Jesus and says, I won't give in in this trial of life. You know, the first thing we do when we're under a lot of pressure, job, financial stress, marriage stress, the first thing we do is sin. It's crazy. It's crazy. And we let sin creep in. We compromise our lines of sin and not sin. It's, it's because the, Satan intends to use the trial for temptation to sin. God intends it for steadfastness so that we would grow and be someone not lacking. Pray that way. Don't just say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Realize what Jesus is saying. May we pass the test. That's, it it just changes how you approach things. See, the truth is, I am forgiven, but sin should no longer enslave us. You know, one of the beautiful things, there's so many other passages that deals with prayer in the Bible. One of the beautiful things is that I remember reading constantly Jesus say, ask and you will get, I'm paraphrasing, but ask and you will get, ask and you will get. Well, okay, Jesus, give me this, give me that, and it doesn't happen What is it referring to, though? There's another chapter in the Gospels, in Luke, that also talks about the Lord's Prayer. And here's the curious thing. It says just, lead us not into temptation. And it doesn't say, but deliver us from evil part. It goes into some other thing. You know what that other thing is? That other thing is him saying, ask and you will seek. It says specifically, and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. If you then who are evil know how to give good f- gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask and you will get. Seek and you will find is a prayer about the Holy Spirit's power for us to not sin. Just go to that chapter in Luke It's in chapter 11. On your own time, go there. What does this all together tell us? The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for us to walk rightly and to correct our ways of thinking from top to bottom. God, may may you be the thing I enjoy the most. That's when it says, Our Father in heaven, how be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We saw that's May I obey you the way the angels in heaven obey you. May I seek basic provision, not luxurious provision. May, when I say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, may the trials that you intend, Satan not be victorious in achieving them for our sin. May I not sin. Deliver us from evil. Over and over again, this prayer is about us in our walk with God. It's a relationship. I pray that we would never look at this prayer the same way again, the same way it shook my world and is still shaking my world. As the band comes up, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just rock our worlds to want to commune with you, to want to have communication with you that doesn't repeat the Lord's Prayer, but that seeks these truths and seeks to just to be satisfied in you and to walk more the way you want us to walk. 
The Lord's Prayer is us communicating to you that we want to obey your will of command. We want to obey your will of command, and when we mess it up, we want to make sure that we are right in our positional relation, excuse me, on our relational forgiveness. Forgive us relationally, Lord, because you've already forgiven us positionally. I pray that we would communicate with you, not recite. Communicate with you. As the ushers come forth for the tithe, I pray that the tithe would be multiplied so that people would want to communicate with a God who has so much good news. Even in, when we communicate with him, he has so much good news. As we speak to him, he gives us so much good news. May the tithes and offering be multiplied. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.